Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, December 6th, 2010. Had a fun drive home yesterday from the Outlaw Preacher Reunion out there in Memphis. I tried to take the southern route, you know, cut through Tennessee and cut up through Nashville and Louisville in order to avoid the snow. Yeah, it didn't work started snowing 20 miles outside of uh, Nashville and kept snowing pretty heavy all the way through Louisville. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which... Help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there, and uh, we like to take uh, people's theologies to task and uh, compare them with what God has revealed in His Word. It all comes back down to who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust somebody who claims that they're getting direct revelation from God that they've had a liver shiver, some kind of subjective experience uh, that tells you what God is like, or are you going to trust what God has revealed in his word and which Jesus Christ has put his stamp of approval on? You know, <laughs> I, I just call me silly, call me childish if you would. That wouldn't be an insult at this point, but uh, I'm going with Jesus. You know, I he has some really, really good credentials and in the... Um, things spiritual and things relating to the nature of God category, I would be lost at sea without a rudder. I mean, just blown hither and yon uh, without some kind of uh, of authoritative revelation that I can hang my hat on and say, you know, I can trust this. And the reality is, is you can trust Jesus. You can trust what he's revealed about himself, what he's revealed about God, and you can trust uh, God's word as a result of the fact that Jesus himself says that it's the very Word of God, that God is revealed in it. And God, and Jesus uses, I mean, Jesus uses God's Word, the, the Old Testament, to uh, combat the temptations of the devil. I just, I'm, the older I get, the less, uh, the, the less energy I have for engaging in, in full, drawn-out, biblical battles, so to speak. So I just call me lazy. I'm, I'm going with Jesus. You know, I... I'm just going to bet all the blue chips on him, and and, uh, and you know what? Here's the deal. <laughs> Since he rose from the dead, proved he that was God in human flesh, you know, I just don't think I'm going to go wrong there. Just, you know, don't think, <laughs> don't think I'm going to do it. Anyway, um, so I uh, spent the uh, weekend uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, 
with some people that I just dearly, dearly love. And uh, and I was with the outlaw preachers. Now, before you before you start flipping your chicken and and choking on 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 a fishbone, I I I'm not saying I agree with the theology of the outlaw preacher, especially many of the leaders in the outlaw preacher uh, movement. I don't, and they know that I don't. And uh, but that being said, I still love them, and 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 you know I love them. They're they're they're, for lack of a better way of putting it, they're just beautiful broken people. Uh, if you if you need somebody to give you a hug, the outlaw preachers are there for you. You need somebody to to cry on a shoulder, with the outlaw preachers are there for you. And uh, you know, you may not want to take their advice spiritually and some of the stuff that they uh, that they promote. Uh, but see, the thing is, you can't judge all the outlaw preachers by their leaders. That's the funny thing. You, it's it's a very mixed eclectic group there are folks in there uh that uh, that hang out with the outlaw preachers who i wouldn't hesitate to say are brothers and sisters in christ and that and uh, and there are others in the outlaw preachers who who ain't but uh that being said um you know it, it, one of the things i i do repeatedly and and this is something i pray that i never stop doing and that is, is that I get out from behind the microphone, I get out from behind the computer, I get out from behind the laptop, I get out of the studio, and I go and I listen, and I go and I make myself available for critique. I, I go and I engage in conversation, and on all of that is to, to show that, listen, I am not above reproach, and I'm a human being too. And the reality is, is that I think it's important because of the fact that I take a, a very hard line biblically uh, in critiquing people's theology and taking what they're saying in the name of God to the Word of God to task, that I need to make myself available for people to say, you know, Chris, I don't agree with you, and uh, here's X, Y, and Z reason why. Uh, that being said, uh, uh, you know, I was able to, uh, they invited, the Outlaw Preachers actually invite. this is their first ever reunion. This is an interesting, eclectic group of folks who, uh, who their movement was uh, literally started by a hashtag on Twitter. I mean, it's it's an ad hoc network of uh, of people. And one of the common denominators in the group, if you in fact, if you really kind of want to get an idea of the flavor of the common denominator, go back into the archives of Fighting for the Faith and listen to my interview with Phil Shepard. Uh, he is uh, one of the, the main guys in the Outlaw Preachers. And uh, the, the common denominator in this group is that so many of these folks have been really really treated poorly treated badly really treated unlovingly and hatefully by uh for lack of a better way of putting it legalistic uh pietistic fundamentalism now now i i i'm somebody i'm i i believe the fundamentals are are vital and critical and so i'm and, and in some senses i am a fundamentalist and and I consider myself to be a gospel fundamentalist. That's probably a better way of putting it. But um, there's a speci- there there is a specific thing that happens in uh, in uh, in religion, and that is is that there's there are groups of folks out there who specialize in condemnation, who specialize in the law, and they're completely oblivious to the gospel. And 
and the fact that God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and that it's not his will that any should perish, and that it's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. And as a result of it, um, there are some folks who've grown up in churches, and it, it, it's, it's not a particular denomination that I'm talking about here. It, it's more like a particular view of Scripture and a view of how God's Word works, uh, that that when that when they begin to ask questions, they are put under discipline. They're shouted down or told to be quiet and not ask any questions. When they have valid biblical critiques of uh, the legalistic pietism that they're running into, that is uh, is basically really treating them poorly and giving them a distorted view of God, they are told that they are. Um, in rebellion, that they're in their that they're bitter or whatever, and 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 heaven forbid that they should begin to struggle with a besetting sin, uh, you know whether it's alcoholism, whether it's homosexual sins, whether it's adultery, whether it's fornication, whether it's listening to music of the devil, uh, you know what. <laughs> the uh, the the God that is presented to them is only a God of wrath, only a God of judgment. And the solution is, is they got to toe the line morally or else. And um, what the one, the one thing they don't hear about is that they have a loving and merciful Savior in Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that I've noticed among the outlaw preachers, and I've been able to, uh, especially after the reunion, I had so many fantastic conversations with many of them, and uh, and the sins that that they struggle with really runs the gamut. There was no particular, uh, no particular thing in in you know that really stood out as like the the, the majority thing that they that they had been wrestling or struggling with. But uh, these are folks who, um, who have been really, really, really poorly treated, and uh, the gospel withheld from them or never proclaimed to them. Or it only proclaimed to them, you know, to get them into the funhouse of all the the you know the rat wheel of works righteousness that they're supposed to be doing, and um, but uh, and t- so many great conversations with these folks, and it was it was really an honor and a privilege to uh, to not only be there in attendance and to speak with them, but to engage in the conversations and uh, and then uh, honor on honor, uh, you know, the outlaw preachers. Uh, asked me to uh, to lecture and to give you know, to uh, be one of the breakout speak uh, the breakout lecture speakers and uh, I gave a, a lecture and I'll play the audio for this uh, either tomorrow or Wednesday I I've got to uh, get it off of my recording device and into a format that I can make ready uh, for radio but uh, the uh, the I did an expository lecture it, it, I, it's not a sermon you know because I'm you know that it wasn't a sermon but it was an expository lecture. On the entire book of Jonah, and I and I think I entitled it the Jonah narrative. Um, uh, let's see, religious abuse, uh, empire, and the gospel. And uh, and it, what I really wanted to do was um, highlight the fact that I really do listen to many of the contours of their theological concerns, and uh, and and in. At least, in in a sense, recognize that many of the things that they that they've brought up in their theological concerns have, have there's some strong validity to them, and so uh, and then the idea is is that I wanted to push back just a little bit 
using the Jonah narrative, and then use that as an opportunity to proclaim Christ and Him crucified for our sins. And I was, I am very, very happy with uh, uh, the lecture that I gave. And not only that, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased that the, it was well received by the outlaw preachers. And uh, what was uh, really funny is, is that uh, you know, there's some folks in the outlaw preachers that we, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that. Um, you know, I've done some sparring with some of the outlaw preachers on Twitter, and uh, one of the guys in particular, his na- his uh, Twitter handle is uh, Tragic Pizza, and his name is uh, John Harrison. And uh, we had an opportunity to not only meet face to face, but to talk several times. And uh, and <laughs> he, on Twitter, he mentioned the fact that he hated the fact that all of the labels that he had tried to put on me weren't sticking. And so uh, I was very pleased about that. But I mean, I just, it was such a great time. It was such, such a great time. Now, there were times when, you know, I, I personally just, I couldn't participate in the things that they were doing. And, and I respectfully just left the room and uh, went into another room. But uh, there were other folks who, uh, who weren't comfortable with some of the things that were happening there at the Outlaw Preacher Reunion. And uh, we, we got to spend time together in other rooms talking and, and uh, it was just so wonderful uh, sharing the gospel with these folks. And, uh, and on top of it, I, 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 for lack of a better way of putting it, I had a very uh, spirited conversation with one gal who is, uh, you know, is, is kind of a, a gay-affirming advocate within the Outlaw Preachers. And uh, our lunchtime conversation on Saturday was, was it, it was it was spirited. It was passionate. It was at t- at times she was in my face, <laughs> and, and at the same time it 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 I it was it was a great conversation. And so, anyway, there there there's lots to report on there, but that's kind of the the uh, the gist of it. And like I said, uh, hopefully tomorrow or Wednesday. It just depends on on how my schedule works out. I'll be for right, during the sermon review time. I'll be playing my lecture that I delivered at the Outlaw Preachers. So uh, stay tuned for that. As for today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, good night. We got a lot to talk about. Um, let's see here. Um, the first thing I'm, I want to talk about is something that I wrote today. You know, uh, as I was reflecting on my conversation with this uh, uh, gay affirming outlaw preacher advocate, uh, uh, as I was reflecting on our conversation, which was very spirited at times, I mentioned that. I wrote a piece at my Letter of Mark uh, blog. It's uh, Letter of Mark, M-A-R-Q-U-E dot U-S, if you want to read it. The name of the article is Some Thoughts on Labels and Bible Passages that are Used as Roadblocks. And uh, so I'm going to read that uh, that blog post today and, and maybe uh, comment on it, because uh, the, the, those are these are some of the things that are burbling up in my mind uh, as a result of those conversations that I had at the Outlaw Preacher Reunion. But then today we also got the uh, third eagle of the apocalypse. He's got a brand new video out. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Uh, yeah, we you know, it's the end of the world as we know it. So we have got to uh, <laughs> we've got to tune in to uh, third eagle and find out the, his latest and uh, what it is that he's uh, th- that he's talking about. Um, I've also got a video from uh, from one of the uh, Patricia King gang. And you got to hear it to believe it. It's probably the best way I could put it. I mean, I I don't even know exactly what it's saying, but it kind of gets to uh, one of the things I you know I the, the one of the the contours I'm talking about today. 
on uh, fighting for the faith, and that is is that again, over and again, the Word of God has to be our source and norm uh, for what we think about God. Uh, thinking back to my conversation with this gay affirming advocate at the Outlaw Preacher reunion, um, this is a, this this gal had asked me, um, you know, you know, my story, you know, you know, what, what's my religious story, and so I, I gave her all of the bloody details of of, uh, you know, baptized Roman Catholic, parents uh, excommunicated, uh, my time in the Free Methodist Church, my time as a Nazarene, my time in the New Apostolic uh, Lateran, uh, my time back in the Nazarene Church, and ultimately how I came to Lutheranism through uh, uh, through the help of Dr. <clears throat> Dr. Rod Rosenblatt and his preaching of the gospel to me. And, uh, and uh, the conversation began to turn when she asked, well, Obviously, you know, we don't have the same theology, but uh, as you're here with the outlaw preachers, uh, you know, what would be one of your big concerns about our uh, about what we're doing theologically? And uh, my my first response was, and I didn't even realize that she, you know, uh, that she was uh, uh, somebody who was really into, uh, you know, being a, a, an advocate for affirming homosexuals in their sin. And uh, that's not how she would put it. That's how I put it. But uh, she said, uh, so I said, you know, my my one of my concerns is is that uh, in affirming homosexuals in in the sin of homosexual and you know in their homosexual sins, that uh, they're they're not hearing about the uh, about the forgiveness of those sins uh, shed by uh, you know shed by Christ, His blood on the cross, and um and you know. Uh, no sooner had I said that than she looked me like dead in the face. I mean, she was right, I mean, practically nose to nose with me. And she says, your theology is responsible for so much pain that these people. And I looked her, <laughs> I looked her back in the eyes and I said, ma'am, that's not my theology. That's what the scriptures teach. And then she went on to explain to me how she used to believe that way and how she had an experience, how there, her experience, you know, she had been at some um, gay Christian conference and she said, and I saw Jesus in them and I, I saw the fruits of the Spirit in their life. And, and I realized at that point that my theology was wrong. And I looked, her, like, looked straight back at her and I said, ma'am, what we're dealing with here is is that you have two different sources of uh, revelation from God, and I only have one. You're basically saying that your experience is on par with or supersedes what God has written in his word. And uh, my, I'm basically saying my experiences have to be judged by the word of God. It's a matter of who are you going to trust. Now, the conversation went on from there, but uh, some of the things that she brought up that I thought was very interesting was she was talking about how legalistic, pietistic fundamentalists use particular passages as roadblocks to keep uh, to keep particular types of sinners out of the church. And I and 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 I understood from her point of view where she was coming from. But you know, it was one of those times where you know when I was coming home driving in the snow, and you know, and I was trying to reflect and think about these things. Uh, you know that uh, you know that I wanted to kind of put my thoughts together because one of the things I did is I opened up First uh, Corinthians chapter six and read it to her and was pointing something out about uh, about how the these labels don't apply to Christians anymore that they're not to be labeled according to their sins because they're forgiven in Christ that at that moment I kind of had like an epiphany 
And, uh, and you know, I wanted to share it. Was, it's not a, the deepest and most profound epiphany, but it was something that was, I think was that I wanted to, you know, I, I mentioned it at the time, but I wanted to flesh it out further. And so I spent some time writing about it. So we're going to read my uh, my blog post today. Uh, we've got, that's what we're going to get to. Um, yeah, we talked about the extreme prophetic folks. And then uh, for our sermon review in hour number two, we're going to be going to Missouri uh, and um, uh, to Tommy Sparger's uh, North Point Church out there in Missouri. And uh, we're going to be hearing his uh, first uh, his first sermon in his Christmas Unplugged sermon series that just began, uh, not this this past weekend, but the weekend before. And so we're going to be listening to part one of that and reviewing it. And uh, the reason I picked it is because... Uh, uh, talk about a deficient gospel. Um, you know, something seriously missing in his uh, in his retelling uh, or his telling about why Jesus came to Earth. So we got lots of ground to cover today. Make yourself comfortable. Fuzzy bunny slippers if you're in cold weather, like like Central Indiana. We have a a nice big thick blanket of snow on the ground here in Indiana. And, uh, you know, if it's that's the, what's happening in your neck of the woods, fuzzy bunny slippers do enhance your listener experience while listening to Fighting for the Faith. If, if it's warm, though, you don't want to wear those because then your feet begin to sweat while you're listening to the program, and that detracts from the overall experience. Just, you know, it's something I, want, I discovered and want to share with you. And, of course, if you want to enjoy an adult beverage, we don't have a problem with that. Keep in mind, Jesus did drink, and at the same time, it's a gift that we can enjoy from God, but you're not too engaged in it to the point of drunkenness. That's where it crosses the line from gift to abuse, and, uh, yeah, that's not that's not good. So we're not advocating that here at Fighting for the Faith. So with that, let's, uh, let's uh, dive into the program proper, and we'll begin with my uh, blog post that I wrote today. And again, if you want to read this, it's at letterofmark.us. That's L-E-T-T-E-R-O-F-M-A-R-Q-U-E dot U-S, and the name of it is Some Thoughts on Labels and Biblical Passages that are Used as Roadblocks. I'm always amazed by the depth of God's Word. No matter how many times I read it, I always find deeper and more profound truths hiding in plain sight right there in the text. One particular text, a very strong law passage that I'm very conversant with, smacked me upside the head the other day while I was discussing it with one of the outlaw preachers at their 2010 reunion. The passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. It is one of the clearest passages of Scripture that addresses the sin of homosexual conduct in the Bible, and this was the reason it was being discussed. Here is what the text says, quote, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. During my conversation uh, with this particular outlaw preacher, I was focusing on the words, quote, as were some of you. The implication of these words is deep and profound. The, this passage is literally saying that those folks in the church who've committed the sins of idolatry, adultery, theft, homosexual sex, drunkenness, were no longer identified by those labels. 
There was no need for them to wear a scarlet letter A or H or D or T. Repentant and forgiven sinners who are justified and sanctified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ have been given Jesus' name and his label, which supersedes those other labels and cancels and covers them. So often someone's known sin is the thing that we label that person with. For instance, Tiger Woods is an adulterer. You know, no kidding. Brett Favre is a perv, etc. You understand what I'm saying here. But that is not how we're to think of those who are our fellow Christian believers because that is not how Jesus sees them or labels them. Now, if Tiger Woods were brought to repentance and the forgiveness of his sin, sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, then for those of us who are in the church, uh, he should and he, he would and should only be known as Tiger Woods forgiven in Christ. The label of adulterer would have no choice but to give way to the name of Jesus because there is no other name given by which men must be saved. Now, as deep and profound as that concept is, there is even one that is deeper still. This text actually gives us a snapshot of the folks who comprise the membership of the church at Corinth. Think of it as a family photo, if you would. The text actually reveals that that this church was filled with screwed-up misfits. This was a church filled with repentant and forgiven adulterers, alcoholics, homosexuals, idolaters, con men and thieves. Now, that's quite a membership role. Now, would you be comfortable leaving your child in the Sunday school class at the church in Corinth? I bet you wouldn't. Now, how comfortable would you be sharing a common communion cup with a repentant homosexual whom you secretly worried was HIV positive. This text forces all of us to ask a very awkward and challenging question. Do our congregations have a bunch of repentant and forgiven adulterers, alcoholics, homosexuals, idolaters, con men, and thieves in them? Sadly, they they may not. And one of the reasons for this, I fear, is that far too often... 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11 through 11, is used to keep those misfits out of our congregations, when in reality, if you think about it, this text is welcoming them into our churches to hear about the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of their sins won for them by our great God and Savior. This text is not a roadblock to keep sinners out of our churches, but rather, when you really read what this passage is saying, you'll discover that it's an invitation for sinners and rabble of all stripes to come and be forgiven and to receive a new label, a label that says, forgiven in Christ. This is exactly what Paul would later say to the misfit members of the church at Corinth when he said, quote, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 17. So I'll ask the question again. Do our congregations have a bunch of repentant and forgiven adulterers, alcoholics, homosexuals, idolaters, conmen, and thieves in them? If the answer is no, then may I kindly suggest that maybe, just maybe, our congregations have lost sight of what they are supposed to be, embassies of the kingdom of God tasked with the ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of death. If you're not sure what I mean by the ministry of death, 
Check out 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. Continuing on then, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 18, we read, All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When our congregations are embassies of the kingdom of God and are beacons of the ministry of reconciliation, then and only then are misfit rabble sinners welcome to come and hear the amazing and blessed good news that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. These texts challenge us and show us that our congregations are supposed to be places we're forgiven adulterers, alcoholics, homosexuals, idolaters, conmen, and thieves, like you and like me, can come and join hands as brothers and sisters in Christ and sing in one communal voice, Chief of sinners though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me. Died that I might live on high, lives that I might never die. As the branch is to the vine, I am his and he is mine. O height of Jesus' love, higher than the heaven above, deeper than the deepest sea and lasting as eternity. Love that found me, wondrous thought, found me when I sought him not. Jesus only can impart balm to heal the smitten heart, peace that flows from sin forgiven, joys that lift the soul to heaven, faith and hope to walk with God in the way that Enoch trod. Chief of sinners though I be, Christ is all in all to me. All my wants to him are known, all my sorrows are his own. Safe with him from earthly strife, he sustains the hidden life. O my Savior, help afford by thy spirit and thy word. When my wayward heart would stray, keep me in the narrow way. Grace in time of need supply while I live and when I die. We're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. Hey, do you want to feel holier than thou? Try Bible Thirst, holy drinks for people who need gratuitous amounts of piety. With all new flavors like prosperity, instant abundance. It's like adding your bank account to an electrical storm. Sound the alarm. You're going to be uncomfortably holy. What's that? You want mana? Well, how about super mana? Made with lightning. Real lightning. Preaching. <laughs> You'll be good at it. It's a holy drink for men. Clergy. These aren't your pastor's puns. They are righteous puns. Piety puns. Sinner, saint, sinner, saint. Prayers, lights, cross lights, power lights, more lights than your body has room for. You'll be so holy, Mother Teresa will be like, slow down. And you're like, no. And roundhouse kick her in the face with your Bible pants. You have so much holiness, holiness. Ah. Just praying all the time. Power praying, power preaching, power praising, power fasting, power meditating, power laughing, power spawning Chester. You have so much Chester. Just like Esau. Give prosperity to babies, they'll be holy too. Make your babies run abnormally fast. They'll be as fast as Elijah. People watch them running and think they're Elijah. They'll race as fast as Elijah. In a race with the actual Elijah. And it'll be a time they get deported back to Israel. Hey, go with the for sure thing. Don't gamble on your afterlife. Jesus. Try Bible thirst. The energy that will make you ah, holy. Ah. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. The Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack or their cheese great gift basket or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. <laughs> and just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today.
Morning. The uh, church is a place where sinners uh, go to be forgiven. Yeah, that means there should be sinners in your church. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute on a month-to-month basis, uh, $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a fantastic way to support us because it allows people to uh, contribute just a little bit and for it to be magnified and count for a lot. The reason why is because the more people that sign up to join our crew, the more it levels out our giving month-to-month so that it makes it easier for us to budget for our expenses uh, especially as uh, as we continue to try to grow this program. But of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, we're going to switch gears here. We we do have a William Tapley um, update, and uh, which means that, well... We have to play the William Tapley update music. So here we go. That's great. It starts with an earthquake. Birds and snakes and airplane. Lenny Bruce is not afraid. I have a hurricane. Listen to yourself. Turn world. Serve its own needs. Dummy serve your own needs. Beat it up and knock. Speak grunt. No strength. The ladder starts to clatter with fear. Fight down. High choir and a fire. Representative seven games in the government for hire. You know, I just realized that uh, William Tapley's uh, update music that I play to introduce him is a lot cooler than he is. (laughs) Well, that's what happens sometimes. I mean, well, even me, I mean, my bumper music and all that kind of stuff, it's way cooler than I am. I mean, that's that's all there is to it. Anyway, uh, William Tapley has a brand new edition of Revelation Unraveled, and he's standing in front of a Christmas tree with twinkly lights. And uh, so if you're, you know, take out your notes, if you if you need some kind of prophetic update on the latest headlines, well, then William Tapley's your man. Here he is, the third eagle of the apocalypse and co-prophet of the end times. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley. On this program, I want to talk about that huge forest fire in Israel. Now, I, I got to tell you, I wasn't even aware there was a huge forest fire in Israel. And if it wasn't for William Tapley, I, it would have never come onto my radar, especially as it pertains to end times prophecy. I just had no idea. I believe this is a warning from Almighty God. I believe Israel is entering the seven years of tribulation. 
wouldn't everybody else be entering them as well since you claim that um well that uh, um World War 3 began on November 23rd when North Korea fired artillery shells at South Korea yeah by the way if you remember yeah that episode it was a week ago today um uh, he uh, William Tapley was basically claiming that the the number 23 is an evil number and uh, somebody sent me a link to uh, Jim Carrey. Uh, apparently, Jim Carrey, you know, the comedian, um, he's also um, come to the conclusion that the number 23 is an evil number. Here's Jim Carrey talking about the number 23, by the way. Here we go. The Titanic sank on the morning of April 15th, 1912. That's 4151912. 23. The Hiroshima bomb was dropped at 815. 8 plus 15 is 23. The Mayans said the end of the world would come in 2012. 20 plus 1 plus 2 equals 23. Go ahead. Tell yourself it's just a number. So there you go. Yeah, I'm telling you, 23. I mean, there's something to be said about that number. Apparently, uh, this is bad news. And that's when, um, well, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse claims that World War III began. So far, not much to report on the western front of World War III um, or the eastern front of World War III. Not much to report on the southern front of World War III either. And um, sadly, not much to report on the northern front of um, World War III. We'll we'll have to check in with the southeastern, northeastern, um, southwestern, and northwestern um fronts of World War III. Not much news, I think, from those segments. But 23 is a bad number. Just trust me, it is. This was a warning for them not to attack Iran. This is very similar to the warning Barack Obama received last week not to attack North Korea. That's why he received 12 stitches to his lip. And... You mean that little? That, I mean, that, I, I barely saw any news on this. Apparently, Barack Obama hit his lip and got twelve stitches. Um, that was a warning from God for Barack Obama not to attack North Korea. Got it. Remember, numerology is important in Bible prophecy. Let's take a look at the significant aspects of this huge fire in Israel. First of all, this forest fire began on the first day of Hanukkah. And secondly, there were those 40 prison guard trainees who were burned alive in that bus. What a terrible tragedy. I believe this was also a specific warning from the Bible. The warning last week to Barack Obama referred to Daniel chapter number 11, because he is found in Daniel chapter 11. But this warning to Israel refers to Daniel chapter number 3. Those prison guards being burned alive in the bus relate to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego surviving in the fiery furnace. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> okay. Didn't see that connection. Boy, I missed that one, man. Let's take a look at Daniel chapter number 3, verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And verse 18. 
But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. And verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, no, I, you know, I'm familiar with the uh, Daniel story there of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Um, how exactly does that relate back to the forest fire that started on Hanukkah in Israel? Um, yeah, as you're pointing, I mean, he, you know, literally he printed out a copy of uh, this text and is reading it to us using a, a Bic pen to, you know, kind of as a pointer. And I'm just not seeing anything in there about the fire in Israel, just not seeing it. Therefore, he spoke and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times hotter than usual. Notice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved from the fiery furnace. Yes, yes, I'm, yes, they were. I did notice that. Because they followed the laws of God. Actually, that's not quite right. Let me tweak it for you. They survived because they trusted in God, and that led to their actions being what they were. And we continue. Do you know how this fourth fire began in Israel? Um, Nebuchadnezzar started up a fiery furnace? It was begun by several teenage kids smoking a Turkish Nargila water pipe. Okay. Contrast those youths with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, there's just no comparison, I'm sure. Israel is no different than any other decadent Western culture. They have lost the blessings of Almighty God. Gasp. And this forest fire indicates that Israel also has entered the tribulation period. Um... Uh, just, uh, I have a logical question, uh, Mr. Tapley. Um, okay, if the you know the seven year tribulation period began on November twenty third of this year, um, is it possible for particular nations, you know, maybe Israel or France or Germany or maybe even the United States, for them to just opt out? I mean, you're making this point that this shows that Israel has also entered into the seven-year tribulation period. Um, was it ever an option for them to say, no, we're, you know, we're just going to skip that whole seven-year tribulation period thing. You guys go ahead, uh, just go without us. You know, you know, if we just, if we change our minds, you know, it will join you in the, in the tribulation. I mean, you make it sound like it's possible for nations to, you know, just to kind of just forget the whole thing. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego specify three groups who will survive the tribulation if we look at the original meaning of their Hebrew names. Shadrach's original name in Hebrew was Ananias, which means God is gracious. Yes, yes, God is gracious. He is that for sure. And that refers to the great grace which Protestants received to be raptured. <laughs> what? Okay, you Protestants out there, me included, because I'm a Protestant. Um, 
Did you even? I had no idea that Shadrach, because his his Hebrew name was actually Ananias before it was changed by Nebuchadnezzar to Shadrach, that and his name Ananias means God is gracious, and that that was actually referring to us Protestants who keep talking about the great grace of God. By the way, I, I'm just telling you, those of you out there who are uh, Roman Catholic, if you if you are followers of William Tapley. You know, William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse, has made it clear that the Protestants are going to be raptured, but the Catholics aren't. Listen, if you just want to skip that the whole tribulation thing and come up, you know, to and get raptured with us Protestants, you know, just join us. You know, come on over to uh, you know to you know the Lutheran Church. I mean, we're we're really Catholic in the way we do our liturgy. Uh, you feel right at home. Uh, you'll hear all about this great grace of God. And the good news is, you won't have to then grab your running shoes and head out to the desert with your rosary. So you know, I'm just saying. I just, see here it is. I mean, there it is. Because Shadrach was named Ananias, that's referring to Protestants who are going to get raptured. Got it. Meshach's original name in Hebrew was Mishael, which means who is what God is. And that is a theological concept and therefore refers to conversion. In other words, the converted Jews. Abednego's original name in Hebrew was Azarias, which means the Lord helps. And that refers to the Catholics who will be protected in the desert by Mary's rosary and scapular. Right. So again, so, you know, listen, you grab your running shoes and get ready to head to a non-American, yeah, a desert that isn't in the United States, because America is going to be wiped out in an hour via nuclear war, according to William Tapley. So there you go. We continue. This was an angel, and that refers to the holy martyrs. These are the four groups who will reign with Jesus during the millennium. Please do not listen to the false prophets on YouTube who are pounding the drums for war between Israel and Iran. Israel will lose this war. This is not the war in Ezekiel 38 and 39. You know, I, I feel like I, <clears throat> I've i let you guys down. I, I haven't even tried to listen to the false prophets that are, you know, pounding the drums for war. Didn't even know they existed. I mean, if you have a link to one of those, let me know. I'm sure it would be great radio. That war refers to Armageddon. Now, Ezekiel 36 has been fulfilled where God promises to restore the Jews to Israel. But the Jews have broken that covenant. God kept his part of the bargain. But now Israel has lost the blessings of Almighty God. You cannot have legalized abortion in your country and expect God to bless your nation. You cannot spend $88 million to promote gay tourism in the city of Tel Aviv and expect God to bless your country. This forced fire in Israel is a sign from Almighty God that his blessings have been lifted from the nation of Israel because they have broken the covenant. He fulfilled his part of the bargain, but God's blessing has been lifted from Israel. And that means that God's curse is about to be visited upon the nation of Israel. That's not good news if you're living in Israel. Bad, bad news. And what is that curse? Please tell us. The Bible says that if Israel does not fulfill their part of the bargain, they would be ruled by their enemies. And that um, Wasn't that fulfilled when they were taken into exile in ba Babylon? Yeah. 
call me silly here, but I thought that already happened. That prophecy is about to come true. And if you would like more information or a free copy of my book, Revelation Unraveled, simply write to the address you see on your screen. Yeah, thank you. Um, So there you have it, latest prophetic headlines from uh, William Tapley, Third Eagle of the um, Apocalypse. Um, Yeah, I, I missed all of that stuff, so... All right. Um, yeah, let's. Um, I think we should probably move along now. Yeah, that music can mean only one thing. It's time for uh, an update from from the Patricia King gang. Not from Patricia King herself this time, though. But from the folks that uh, broadcast on her uh, XP Media website, um, this is a video put out by Revival Fires TV, and it's all about activating the seer realm. Now, if you've been one- looking for information on how to activate the seer realm, well, then you're in luck. This will explain it all for you and, and, and just make it crystal clear on what you need to do to activate the seer realm. Here we go. But still on that theme of, of seeing, so... Now, this is Jason Hooper on activating the seer realm. What are some of the realms? I mean, we, you know, people who come in and they teach about the realms of sure. the spirit. But what are some of those areas, realms, um, that you've seen? I mean, when we talk about the angelic or we right. talk about different places, geographical places... Mm-hmm. Are there those geographical places in the spirit where you have access to? Just talk to Yeah. Me. So geographical places in the spirit. Okay. Um, well, there's there's been a been a number of what we call prophetic encounters and experiences. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one for instance, you know, I, um, October 24th of 2009, I, I was awoken in my bed. You know, I was simply I was, I would come out of it's it's my practice when I wake up in the morning not to just jump up and get going, <laughs> but to wake up to love on him and let him love on me. Well, that morning I didn't have a that could be misconstrued. Chance to, but that was the discipline mm-hmm. that I had every morning that I that I wake up. And so most mornings I wake up just oh I love you. Oh. I don't have to think about it. It's just it's I've disciplined my soul, I've disciplined yeah. my spirit. Oh, early will I seek you. And as I was waking up this morning, I came out of sleep and I, I came out to the chest of a white horse. Uh, what? There was a white horse in your bed? You might want to have a talk with your neighbor. That does not sound like it's healthy. And as I saw the chest of this white horse, I felt the beating of his hoof next to my ear. You might have wanted to run at that point. I mean, do you imagine the head injury you would have sustained? And as I felt the beating of the, the, the hoof, I said, Lord, what is this? It was a horse. And he said, I'm releasing horses and I'm looking for riders. <laughs> okay, so... Um, back in 2009, God was releasing horses and was looking for riders. Now, if you miss that, um, you know, I don't know what God's doing today, but back in 2009 in October, God was releasing horses back then. And I knew it had to do with the prophetic word. Mm-hmm. I knew in, you know, Revelation 19, mm-hmm. it talks about he who sits on the white horse. Yeah. Talks- yeah. Wouldn't that be Jesus? You know, just saying, I mean, you know. It's about how he, the word of God, would judge and make war in the heavenlies. He would judge and make war among the nations. It talks about the angelic army that supports and goes behind. Wow. And as I began to see this chest of this white horse and I began to feel the beating of his hoof next to my ear, I said, Lord, how can I ride? 
If you're well, it, just get out of bed and get on the horse. I mean, it's facing horses. How can I be a part of your army? He said, Jason, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And I knew right then that the stirrup to mount up on this horse. You know what? I, I think this Jason Hooper, I think this is the guy from Morningstar who does the Holy Ghost hokey pokey. Just saying. Was Matthew 16. It was, it was who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And as I began to focus on not what I had heard about him, but who yes. I knew him to be. And I think that is one of the doors. One of the things Jesus, it says, is the door. And so if we want to go into prophetic encounters and prophetic experiences, I oftentimes use Scripture, a meditation on Scripture, as a door to walk in. One of my favorites is I... So you're using the Bible as a talisman to help you get into an altered state of consciousness? Wow. Yeah, I don't think the Bible's meant to be used that way, Jason. Isaiah 26.3. Yes. You know, he says he, he keeps him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on me. And I've had a number of encounters just by that scripture, just meditating on that scripture. But I went, to, and as soon as I said, you know, as soon as the Lord said, who do you say that I am? I said, Lord, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. I went from being in this field on my back with this white horse to being at what looked like a racetrack. But instead of a racetrack, it was a straightaway. And it was lined with red Corvettes, red, you know, Chevrolet oh, wow. Corvettes. Yeah. And I had I had keys in my hand. It was a keychain with two keys, and the keys were Matthew sixteen nineteen. Of course, to bind on earth what has been bound in heaven, loose on earth what has been loosed in heaven. And the seer realm is that. Okay. The seer realm is seeing what has been loosed in heaven. Yes. And loosing it here. Sim- what? Yeah. The, the funny thing is, is that the keys mentioned in those passages have to do with the forgiveness of sins. You know, just saying. You know. We continue. I, wow, so he's at a straightaway. Uh, that would be a, like drag racing. Simply agreeing on earth what has been released in heaven. Mm-hmm. The same thing is seeing what is active and operating on the earth that needs to be bound, seeing how it's already bound in heaven. It does yeah. not have rule and reign there, so it can't have rule and reign here. And where does the Bible say that, Jason? And binding that. And the second key, of course, is Isaiah twenty-two, twenty-two, to open a door mm-hmm. that no man could shut and shut a door that no man could open. And as I looked at this and I looked at the, the Corvettes, I noticed none of them had rear view mirrors or side mirrors. And the Lord was saying, where you are going, you cannot get there looking behind or looking at what's been. Okay. But you have to lift up your eyes. Behold, the fields are white. Even Jesus with his disciples, yeah. he said, you have to see differently. You have to... You have to have a shift in your perspective. You have to have a, a change in your vision. Yeah, it's isn't it weird how he uses God's word that way? I mean, he's basically picking all these verses out of context and telling us an interesting story that he claims came directly from God himself. And yet the Bible doesn't teach any of this stuff. Yeah, can you show me the great passages that talk about the seer realm in the Bible? Hmm? And as I began to look down at that keychain and I saw there's an emblem on that keychain, it was the Chevy emblem. And I didn't understand that for about a year until I was sharing this, this place mm-hmm. I'd gone to in the spirit and what was being made available to us in this year, in 2010. And a friend of mine, and I, I, as I shared about the Chevy emblem, he said, well, you know, it's why it's Chevy, because like a rock, which Chevy's motto was like a rock, built like okay. a rock. And it's the rock of revelation yes. that he would begin. To- yeah, so, yeah, if you, if you really want to be a true Christian, you need to buy a Chevy. To build on in our life. And so the revelation of who Christ is, 
Christ in us, mm-hmm. the hope of glory, that, 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 uh, that focus in our heart of the love that he has for us, it opens our eyes to see. Mm-hmm. And when we see what he's doing, we get to be a part of it here on earth. There you go. If you wanted to know how to activate the seer realm, that was it. It has to do with a white horse and God's looking for riders. And uh, it's about red uh, Chevy Corvettes that don't have rearview mirrors. And as soon as you activate the keys, then the seer realm will rev up and you can go riding. That's what I got out of that. Did you what? What did you get? All right. We're up. (laughs) Holy cow. You know, it's just amazing to me. I mean, these guys, I mean, over and again, the folks are telling you, oh, you follow a dead word, you Bible literalists, you you Bible worshipers, you know, and they, they want to they, they claim that they're getting direct revelation from God. And at the end of it, when it's all done, the things that they're saying, it's complete spiritual gobbledygook. Yeah, none of that's found in the Bible, and blaming it on the Holy Spirit, well, that falls into the category of taking the Lord's name in vain. Just saying, just saying, you know, kind of in that just saying kind of mood today. Anyway, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Sermon review when we get back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough! Of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. The Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack, or their cheese great gift basket, or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. (laughs) 
And just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Uh, we're heading to Springfield, Missouri to be listening to a Christmas season sermon, even though it's Advent. You know, folks in the uh, Seeker Driven movement have no idea about the liturgical calendar. Apparently, Christmas begins right after Thanksgiving. It doesn't, but okay, whatever. All right, let's uh, cue up our music here. good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via North Point Church, Springfield, Missouri. Pastor Tommy Sparger uh, presiding. The name of the sermon is Christmas Unplugged Part 1. Now, this is interesting. Um, Tommy Sparger, on his um, blog, talks about the Christmas Unplugged sermon series. And uh, let me read to you uh, some of the features of this particular sermon series at North Point Church there in Springfield. Tommy writes, he says, I'm very excited for Christmas Unplugged. Four straight weeks of of Christmas production, including face-melting lasers... Special unplugged set, indoor snow, unique versions of your famous Christmas songs, freestyle dancing, Christmas treats, and Trans-Siberian Orchestra and Drummer Boy like you've never seen it before. (laughs) I, I... You know what? Since I don't want to have my face melted off by lasers, I will do everything possible to avoid North Point Church during this Christmas season. Yeah, again, that's face-melting lasers, special unplugged set, indoor snow, unique versions of your favorite Christmas songs, freestyle dancing, Christmas treats, and the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and Drummer Boy Like You've Never Seen It Before. Oh, there's a great reason to pack all the kids up into the minivan and head on down to North Point Church so they can... Yeah, so I'm sure that face-melting lasers and freestyle dancing have their place, but I just didn't realize that that place was in church. (laughs) So, without... By the way, good news is is that there are no face-melting lasers during this... (laughs) You know, here's the deal. You try so hard to be relevant, and at the end of it, um, 
You know, relevant. She's a fickle mistress. She has a really bad habit of leaving you after, you know, because you're only as good as your last thing. So anyway, so without any further ado, here is Christmas Unplugged Part 1, Tommy Sparger from North Point Church in um, Springfield, Missouri. Here we go. Well, Merry Christmas, and I would like to begin this talk with taking a bit of a Christmas survey or a Christmas poll, if you will, because I kind of think that people have a love-hate relationship with certain things at Christmas time. There are things we love and, and things that we hate, and overall, it's generally a good experience. But, but- You know what's so funny? I, I, I gotta, I've got to put a, fi- a photo of this up at Facebook and Twitter. You've got to see this guy. He looks like Captain Kirk, and he <laughs> it looks like he's preaching from Star Trek Church. I am not kidding. That's a, It's a nice set, though. I mean, I'm, it's really Christmassy. I mean, it kind of looks like a Courier and Ives uh, Christmas card there at uh, North Point Church. But there are kind of things we love and hate. So, crowd participation time. By show of hands, tell me if you love or hate the following things. Let us start with Christmas shopping, all right? How many of you love Christmas shopping? Come on, whether you're watching by video or TV or or live, put your hands in there. You love Christmas shopping, put those hands in there. Okay, now you can put them down. How many of you with all of your soul hate Christmas shopping? Put the, oh yeah, put those hands in the air. Okay, okay, put them down. Now, now, here we go. The poll continues. We're going to find out who is who and who has the spirit and who doesn't. Uh, by show of hands, how many of you love Christmas music? How many of you love Christmas music? Okay, put your hands down. Now, how many of you are normal? Just kidding. How, how many of you hate Christmas music? You Scrooges, look at you. All right, all right, all right, all right. How many of you love eggnog? Now, did I mention that this is the sermon time here? Apparently, this is said uh, he's conducting a poll here. Um, that's great. Why are we in a biblical text? Why isn't the word of God being the thing that gets to govern what this guy's saying? Freaks! All right, you can put your hands down. Now, 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 listen. How many of you are like really? Uh, how many of you don't like eggnog? Just yeah, put your hands in the air. I think some of you are double dipping. I think you're just doing that. I don't know why you would do that, but well, okay. Uh, how many of you like Christmas travel? <laughs> and you need therapy. I just, I'm just saying. How many of you hate the Christmas travel? Come on, you. No, no. Okay, good. Um, wrapping presents. How many of you love wrapping presents and, and take note because we're taking our presents to their house and, and all right. How many of you hate wrapping presents and you just aren't even good at it? Okay. Um, Christmas parties. How many of you love going to the Christmas parties? Raise your hands. Okay. And by the way, I despise those things. And, and North Point is having its Christmas party next week, I think. So uh, if I'm acting happy, I promise you I'm faking it. I'm just telling you. Oh, confession's good for the soul. So if you invite Tommy Sparger to a Christmas party or if his church happens to be holding one, keep in mind he's skulking over in the corner. So, so, so how many of you don't like the Christmas parties? Put your hands in the air. All right, all right, all right. Uh, how many of you like going into debt? Just kidding. What, uh, how many of you like Christmas food? That's actually one I'm, I'm into, the turkey and all of it. How many of you don't like Christmas food? There's always one in the crowd. Um, how many-
many of you love decorating? You love decorating for Christmas. Uh, your yard, I mean, you got Santa and a reindeer and Jesus out there and the Santa sleigh or something. Okay, how many of you do not like decorating? Raise your hands. Now, now here's a question. Here, here's a question. And, and certainly everyone would like this. I don't know why you would have a problem with this, but how many of you like Christmas cards? Like receiving Christmas cards. Now, now, now let me just kind of park there with the Christmas card situation because I sort of have mixed feelings when it comes to Christmas cards. Uh, and I'll tell you why. And, and I don't have anything against this. It's gonna sound horrible at first, but Christmas cards always offer peace. And, and Christmas cards offer always like a beautiful background. I mean, just a peaceful, wonderful background. And, and sometimes there's just this very pleasant snowfall coming down on a Christmas card. And, and sometimes there's a horse-drawn sleigh. And, and many, many times, like the Christmas cards you send, uh, have like this very tranquil nativity scene. And almost every card out there, what you get is love, goodwill, cheer, the, the, the offer of hope for mankind and warmth. Now, now here's my problem with Christmas cards. Here's the deal. The very first Christmas ever was nothing like those cards. Our cards have lied to us, people. Listen, listen, the, 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 the first Christmas wasn't peaceful. It was chaotic. Now, now just read your Bible. Read it and you'll understand. Okay, I, I, the first Christmas wasn't peaceful. It was chaotic. So this is the best that you got. By the way, I'm going to pause right here. And I'm going to... Um, uh, make an argument, okay? Th- this is one of the things I actually uh, was talking with some of the outlaw preachers about, and one of them had mentioned this. And you're thinking you're going to actually say something positive about something an outlaw preacher said? Well, yeah, it, yeah. They actually had somebody. One of them had a great point, and uh, and that is is that uh, one of them said to me, Chris, you know what? Listen to your podcast, and a lot of your critique of the mega churches is spot on. And, uh, you know, regardless of what you think of this guy's theology, he said, you know what, when I, when I get up to preach, you know, I'm expected to follow a lectionary, which basically means that the lectionary elves, that's how he phrased it, the lectionary elves get to decide what text I preach on, and it guarantees that I don't just pick my five favorite verses, and that I have to teach, you know, through large portions of the Word of God. And I thought that was a valid point that he brought up. Okay, and see, this is kind of one of this is one of my major critiques about American evangelicalism and these seeker-driven guys. There's ba- because these guys are not beholden to any set structure when it comes to their preaching. What it comes down to is that they all seem to tend to preach about basically a handful of verses over the course of a year. And and I, I I mean that literally. I mean, go back and listen to our sermon reviews that we do over the course of a year, and you'll go, you know, that's pretty. That's right. I mean, you got the Jeremiah passage. I know the plans I have for you that declares the Lord plans to prosper you and plans for good. Taken out of context. Then you got John ten, the abundant life passage, and of course, because sex is such an important thing, and they have to preach the sections of Song of Solomon. Um, and then you you got oh, and then you got all the obligatory sermons that have to do with tithing. And but they don't. They really do a miserable job of actually preaching through text. Now, if you attend a church where the pastor follows a lectionary, the pastor doesn't get to pick 
what passages he wants to preach through, he's assigned them, and those all of those passages are read prior to the sermon, and then, and then uh, he's supposed to you know either preach on the gospel text or one of the other texts, but gospel text usually being the preeminent thing. So if uh, so, if this is a, you know, a little sidebar here. Tommy Sparger. This is during the. Uh, this is during Advent One, Advent Numero Uno. If Tommy Sparger uh, were following a uh, lectionary, which I think is a good thing for pastors to have to do, um, I'll just pick one because in the Lutheran church that I'm a part of. Uh, you either have a one-year lectionary or a three-year lectionary, which basically, if you follow a three-year lectionary, then what happens is is that the passages repeat every three years. If you follow a one-year lectionary, the passages repeat every year. And uh, and you know, there's some guys, you know, they get, I, I kid you not, I've actually met some of these folks who kind of, you know, the pastors who go toe-to-toe arguing with each other as to which is the more Lutheran, the one-year lectionary or the or the three-year that's that, that, that I I have no desire to get into any of those kind of fights. Anyway, if so here's the deal. I'm going to pick one. Hang on. All right, I'm going with the 3-year lectionary series A. If um Tommy Sparger or, or any of these seeker-driven pastors were following a lectionary, uh then on that weekend, here's the text that they could have picked from. Are you ready? Or that w- that would have been assigned to him and the text that he should have preached on. Okay. Isaiah chapter 2, verses um, 1 through 5. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let me read it. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, okay, so if he were in a church where... Uh, the 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 texts were chosen for him. This would have been one of the possibilities of a pre-chosen text series for him to preach on. Great passage, good stuff. Let's uh, see what the epistle lesson would have been for that week. It would have been Romans chapter thirteen verses eight through fourteen. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed." The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Okay, that would have been the epistle 
lesson, one that he could have chosen to preach from. And the gospel for Advent 1 is Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Let me flip over there real quick here. Uh, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, which reads, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples, and when as Jesus had directed them, they brought the donkey and the colt and put put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now those were the, those are the, those are three lectionary texts that if your pastor were in a church where the, the he follows an assigned lectionary. By the way, lectionaries are great things because they save you from really bad pastors and from their particular uh, favorite things and not so favorite things. It forces a pastor to actually preach through broad swaths of the Word of God. But Tommy Sparger, you know, he's doing well. He he's one of these seeker-driven guys. He doesn't need a lectionary, which means that he his own creativity is the thing that dictates what happens in church. So, anyway, so now we're hearing about Christmas and what is his profound insight regarding Christmas? Well, we get Christmas cards and it talks about peace, but the first Christmas was anything but peaceful. Okay, yeah, you're you're right. It, it was anything but peaceful. Okay, make your point, Tommy. And in, in the gospel accounts of the first Christmas, if, if you read it the way it was supposed to be written and understood, you're not going to sense cheer and goodwill at work. What you will sense is a lot of disruption. Now, now just think about this for a moment. A teenager in ancient Israel is pregnant out of wedlock. That stuff didn't fly back then. She's pregnant out of wedlock, and on top of that... Shouldn't fly today either, you know. ...situation, she has this wild tale about the fact that she's carrying around the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, the answer, and and, and do you realize this in this... By the way, I just want to point something out here. Um, This doesn't count as actually reading a biblical text. Yeah, um, do you remember back when you were in junior high and high school and you were assigned a book report? Yeah, remember those things? And, uh, and you know, if, if you were a normal red-blooded American kid, you didn't want to have to read one of those books, especially like a, you know, what is it, Jane Austen? Or, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? You didn't want to have to read one of those books, and so they had these wonderful little things called cliff notes. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, and you would try to you know at the at the at the eleventh hour you would write a book report based upon your reading of Cliff Notes, you know because the Cliff Notes would give you kind of a summary synopsis of each of the different chapters and would do so in a way that you could just you know 
dig out of there the answers that your teacher was looking for, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so the fun part about uh, that is is that I had teachers who said, no, we know what's in the cliff notes and we're not going to ask those kinds of questions. And in fact, we're going to expect you to have read particular chapters and we're going to expect you to participate in class discussion all along the way, which basically meant that you had to read the book. <sighs> yes, there was nothing like the deer slayer. Yeah, <laughs> I hated that book. Anyway, so, but what we're getting here right now from Tobin Sparger, we're not actually, well, he's not actually reading the biblical stories in the gospel accounts that tell us the Christmas story, even though it's Advent, but that's beside the point. But instead, we're getting Sparger's notes. Yeah, these, these it's like cliff notes, but worse. It <laughs> It's like cliff notes with without any real content. So that's what we're getting here. We're getting a Cliff Notes, I mean, a Tommy Sparger Notes uh, rendition of the Christmas story that isn't so peaceful. Why couldn't he just read the biblical text and, you know, exegete it for us? You know. Culture, do you realize that you can be stoned to death for both premarital sex and blasphemy? And, and to almost everyone around, it appears that she is guilty of both. It's chaos. Christmas is chaos. It seems to me that God has entered this chaotic world in a very chaotic way. Now, now, now. By the way, the key words there were, it seems to me. You know, it seems to me, uh, Tommy, that um, you're not actually teaching what the Bible says. That's what it just seems like to me. My guess is that you're no stranger to chaos. You've had your share. I've certainly had my share. You might have chaos right now. Maybe, maybe for you, there's a teenager at home and, and that teenager is rebelling. Or, or maybe that teenager has left home and you are worried sick about that teenager. Maybe this year you went through a divorce. Maybe for you right now, your marriage is, is not as, as good as you had hoped that it would be in this year. Uh, what if you don't have any major chaos right now? What if, you know, it's been like a normal year, you know, you, as we draw close to the end of 2010, you know, looking across it, you know, I've been gainfully employed and so it's been a pretty, you know, as steady as she goes kind of year, you know, um, my marriage is doing great. Um, job's wonderful. Love it. Um, you know, the kids are well behaved. Uh, my son got married. I'm really excited about my new daughter-in-law. You know, it's, no, there hasn't been any chaos in my life. So apparently this sermon then doesn't apply to me, you know, you know, although got to tell you, disappointed with how the Indianapolis Colts are doing this year. That seems like chaos to me. Yeah, they're six and six. I'm not very happy about that. Maybe right now you, your bills are barely getting paid. It's chaos. And, and what I want you to understand more than anything else, and, and this will be a main theme of what I'm talking about today, is that I believe God came into a very chaotic world in a very chaotic way to fight your chaos. Okay, so God came in the world to fight my chaos. So Jesus is a big chaos fighter. That's why the virgin was with child? Um, to fight my chaos, and the and the examples you gave were chaos as it pertains to, um, 
you know, family, parental matters, whatever. Um, hmm. Just never really thought of Jesus as the big chaos buster. Maybe that's the reason why I don't have any chaos in my life and things are pretty much steady as she goes is because, well, you know, Jesus, you know, he busted all my chaos. So I don't need this sermon then. I, I've been there, done that. I, yeah, Thanks, Jesus, for clearing everything, all the chaos up for me. You know, if I ever experience any more chaos, I'll, I'll let you know, but I'm, I'm on my own from here. It was really nice. You see what I'm saying? And to bring peace and to bring meaning. Now, I took a little trip last week and went all the way to the other side of the world, and I went to India. And, and for me, it was a trip of a lifetime. It, it did something in my heart that I believe is, is life-changing. And um, we filmed a lot of things while we were over there, but, but what I sensed in India... Um, when you look at the streets and you walk to the streets and you look at the poverty and, and you look at the disease and, and you look at the way some people treat other people, what I sensed was chaos. No. So you experienced Indian chaos. Oh. But, but here's something else that I sensed while I was there. I sensed that God was at work. I sensed that. And so I- uh, do you have a God-sensing device, you know, like a tri quarter yeah not sure why the star trek thing came in there um yeah does your tricorder sense um god working you know i'm just curious as 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 i was walking the streets of india i i I, it it was like it was plain as day to me i i could see so clearly why god visited planet earth okay why was it this 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 is important stuff because this touches on the gospel itself and the whole thing about all, you know, the, the whole Christmas season. I mean, if you celebrate Christmas, you know, then th- this is touching on the very reason why you celebrate. Okay, so why, why, what, what, what's the reason, Tommy? Why there was a baby born in a manger 2,000 years ago. As, as I looked through the streets of India, it made sense to me. Okay. I want you to watch this short video clip. All right. Yeah. Hey, we're about to take off from Springfield and catch an airplane and from there to Germany and from Germany to India. And we're going to spend a week in India. And what we're going to do there is look at the need. And the need is great. And one of the things we're talking about this year at Christmas Unplugged uh, is just why Jesus came to this planet. And uh, it doesn't take long to look around and see the needs of the world to realize why Jesus came. He came for me. I needed him. He came for you. But, you know. Okay. Why did you need him, Tommy? You say he came for you and that you needed him. What, What exactly do you need him for? You're in India and you'll see some of the footage. Uh, there is a huge need. And, and, you know, when I go to India, I think Christmas because I think, why did Jesus come to this planet? Because this planet was broken. Okay, so Jesus came to this planet because the planet's broken. Right. What is it broken by? Answer, biblical answer, sin and rebellion against God is the what you see in India, the poverty and all the horrible things that are going on there. That's a di- direct consequence of our sin and rebellion against God. Let's see if he gets that. Over 1.2 billion people live in India. This little facts here. Only uh, 2.3% of them are Christian. It just strikes me that God came to this planet in a chaotic way to break up the chaos. 
So you went all the way to India to help with your Christmas sermon series. To fix what is broken about this world. And here in India, you can see that so clearly. I mean, we can see that at home. We can certainly see it in Springfield. We can see it in the United States. But clearly in India, there is there is such a, a need. And uh, I believe that Christmas, the meaning of it, is all about God visiting a planet to relieve us of our chaos. So Christmas is all about God visiting our planet to relieve us of our chaos. So Jesus died on the cross for our chaos. Okay. So uh, what this is, is a school behind me, and uh, these kids come from this village in Calcutta. And uh, when they come to this school, they not only get an education, but they get one good meal for the day. And even that for them is a sacrifice, uh, because what they lose is their kids out doing work. Now work to them is their kids rummaging around in in like uh, garbage, looking for cans of aluminum so that they can go sell and just make uh, a little bit of money for the family. So so really, this school, what's going on is, is these kids' lives are totally being changed. Okay, this is great stuff, by the way. It is amazing that these, you know, this, these, this church is helping to help these kids get an education so that they can rise up out of poverty. A perfectly great way to love and serve your neighbor. This is a good, this is good stuff here. It's only the gospel to recognize that if Jesus was in the city, he would go to the poorest of the poor and want to lift them up. And today, for us, this is the most powerful illustration of the gospel. It's able to reach from the uttermost to the uttermost. If this mission has impacted the city for Jesus, it's both with the gospel and evangelism, as well as reflecting the heart of Jesus in tangible social engagement and outreach. Okay, now notice that the, the Indian pastor here, he's, he's doing something that Tommy Sparger isn't diff- doing. The past, the Indian pastor is making a distinction between the gospel and evangelism and doing works that reflect the heart of Jesus. Christians do good works. They cannot help but do good works. And these, these are great works that these folks in India are doing in uh, reaching out to the poorest of the poor, the gutter-bound uh, street urchins, and helping them and giving them an education and giving them a meal and helping to lift them up out of poverty. But the reason they do so is because that they are new creations in Christ, that they have been forgiven, that they have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, and therefore they do good works because they are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. And so they can't help but do we do these good works. But the, the, the Indian pastor is doing a better job theologically than Tommy Sparger because he's made, a, he's made a distinction between the gospel and these good works. Let's see if Sparger kind of is able to do that. Why did Jesus come to this planet? Why Christmas? Why did he come to this chaotic world? It's, it's to make order out of chaos. Yeah, no, um, no, that's not right. Uh, the clear passages of the Scripture say that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to die on the cross for our sins and raise again on the third day for our justification. Um, yeah, it sounds to me like Tommy Sparger is kind of preaching a deficient gospel. It, it really sounds really akin 
to um, a liberal social gospel rather than the gospel of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Hmm. Let's continue. I don't think it's to make order out of chaos. Now, in contrast to the Christmas cards, uh, I don't think that... uh, the first Christmas simplify life on planet Earth. If, if anything, it kind of complicated it. And, and let me just show you what I'm talking about. Let, let's look at the accounts of Mary and Joseph and, and how the angels spoke to them and, and gave them the announcement. I want to start with, with Mary. Luke chapter 1, verses 28 through 31, it says the angels... Okay, whoa, whoa. Luke chapter tw- uh, 1, flip on over there. Let's listen to how he handles these verses. He's noticed he's not preaching the full text. Angel went to her and said, greetings you who are highly favored because the Lord is with you. Now we read this and this sounds like just such wonderful news, but, but look at Mary's response. Okay, I want to point something out here. You notice he spent more time on his video that he recorded in India than he's spending actually reading the biblical text. Luke chapter one, verses 28 through 31. Now, before he goes any farther, Flip your Bibles open and let's do a little bit of uh, Christmas passage reading. Open up to Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to begin at verse 1. This is is a text that needs to be preached at Christmas, but that's a different story. Uh, Luke chapter 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb." And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to wisdom of to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people that are prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Not a good idea to question an angel like this. Notice a little bit of lack of faith here. 
The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Now after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and and this is the sixth month with her who has called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has 
as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. Now, that's not all of Luke chapter 1, but that's just the beginning portion of it. Notice that uh, Tommy Sparger's not really preaching the text. He just found a couple of verses that he wants to make a point about, and the point is chaos. But notice that he's not really letting the Scriptures tell us why Jesus came to earth, because the the Scriptures don't say that Jesus came in order to solve our chaos problem. The Scriptures say that Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins, to take care of our sin problem, because the chaos that we experience is the fruit of our sin and rebellion against God. Tommy's kind of missing the point, and not only that, he's really not doing a good job of preaching what the Word says. Let's continue, though. Mary was greatly troubled. There was nothing peaceful about this moment. It was highly disruptive. She, she was greatly troubled at his words, and she wondered what kind of greeting that this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. Now, why is he having to tell her not to be afraid? Because she is afraid. So he's like, Mary, don't be afraid. Yeah, how are they going to answer the question since you ripped it out of context and they're not really hearing the story being preached itself? Afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. You're going to be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. So she is deeply troubled by this encounter. Now, one of the reasons she's deeply troubled and confused is because of verse 34. She says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Mr. Angel, we have a minor technicality here. She's like, you know, how is this going to happen? And, and You know, it's funny, though, uh, Tommy, if you had read the passage in context, you would have read the Magnificat there. She doesn't sound uh, troubled. She sounds like she feels blessed of God. The God has paid attention to his humble servant, Mary. Hmm. And, and so the thing is a little chaotic to her. Now, now, just for a moment, let's leave her where she is and let's move over to her fiancé, Joseph, and, and let's find out what his response might be. Now, now, keep in mind, Mary and Joseph, they're engaged. Now, in this culture, when you're engaged, it is legally as binding as today's marriage. So they've not come together yet, but if they were to break apart, it would require a written d- divorce to separate. So let's move over to Joseph and, and his story and how he responds to this encounter. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And this verse that. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Verse. We're going to get one verse out of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. All right, let's hear Tommy Sparger preach on this verse. I'm going to read, you know, there's a good chance this is one of those verses that you sit around in front of a fire and there's your Christmas tree on Christmas morning and all the presents. And and before the kids tear into the presents, you first have to tell the Christmas story. And you start with this verse, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, before you go getting Christmas warm fuzzies over this verse, I I, I just want you to know this fact. This verse states a fact that absolutely no one on this planet believes except for Mary and the host of heaven. And that's it. Joseph doesn't even believe. 
I mean, look at his story. Verse 19. He's not. Tommy, you're not telling the story. Let, Let me let me let me help you out here. If you're going to tell the story, you 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 know you begin in the Bible and you start where the story begins, and you read until the story ends. Verse eighteen doesn't tell us much about the story. Matthew chapter one begins with the genealogy of Jesus, and um, it. Um, it begins not at Adam, but it begins with Abraham and moves through uh, different generations. It it, it ends um, it ends at verse seventeen, and the whole point of Matthew's genealogy is to show us that Jesus is the son of David and the and the promised one, the one promised to Abraham. And if you want to know more about you know Jesus's genealogy, you look at Luke chapter uh, you look at Luke chapter was it two or three. Uh, and you know, look at Luke's genealogy, or you can go into the Old Testament and pick it up. You know, work backwards from Abraham's genealogy. The whole point here is, is that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Verse eighteen is where I'll begin. We read now: the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way: when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Notice, it doesn't say here that he will save his people from chaos. It says, Jesus will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Even Matthew begins by telling us who Jesus is. He's God in human flesh, and that he's come to save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. It's a great story. It's a fantastic story. It is a story that should bring us great excitement, great peace, great joy that God has come to earth to rescue us from our sins. But Tommy wants to kind of pick the verses apart so that he can make his point. And his point is that he thinks that Jesus came to save us from chaos. Hmm. Funny, the text doesn't say that. Let's see what he does next. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Now he's reading verse 19. Good. He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Why is he going to divorce her? Because he doesn't believe her. Now, now he doesn't want to expose her and go public because there's a chance she could be stoned to death. So he wants to just divorce her quietly. And it will take an angel to change his mind and convince him that what she's saying is the truth. Now use your imagination for everyone else that doesn't get an angel to convince them. And that's almost everyone. Do you think they'll change their minds? 
Check it out. Verse uh, verse 20. That point doesn't even make any sense. How many of us are betrothed to Mary? <laughs> I'm not. I never was. Were you? 20 says, but after he had considered this, an angel. Now here, here come verses 20 and 21. Now watch this. Of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So now notice, he actually read the text. Now, this qualifies as something we haven't been able to do for a long time here. There it went. That was the gospel nugget uh, just flying through the sermon. And it's been a while since we've heard gospel nuggets from seeker-driven pastors. But there it was. It wasn't because that was really the point he was trying to make, but because he was reading it from... It was in the text that he was reading. Let's see if he highlights that and circles it and, and drives us back to Christ and the cross because you could preach the cross right from there. He came to save his people from their sins. How did he do it? Oh, he was beaten, scourged, and crucified and bled and died for your sins and for mine. Oh, you want to talk about Christmas? You can't help but get to the cross. Well, let's see if he does. Here we go. Well, the angel comes to Joseph. And the angel comes to Mary and presents an opportunity in the fate of this world. Uh, the angel presented an opportunity? What was the opportunity? The fate of you and I. How, how so? How is our fate tied up with this? Rest upon the response of two rural teenagers. Really? Chaos. Now, now, now. now. Uh, uh, chaos. Where's the word chaos in any of the verses that you read? Jesus, and and, and this is so interesting to me. Jesus from day one is a two-edged sword because he brings chaos and disruption. It always leads to something healthy, but but, but he creates... Uh, What was the healthy thing that came about through this chaos? Could you flesh that out for us, Tommy? Change, he brings chaos, and at the same time, he brings peace. At the end of the day, it's peace. And, and if you don't believe me, ask Mary and Joseph how disruptive this was to their lives. Now, now here's what I want to share with you very quickly. So that's your big point, that, 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 that this story brought great chaos into their life. Oh, yeah, wow. I, I want to share with you what I learned about God from that very first Christmas. Four things. Please tell us. What did you learn about God from? And, and we'll talk about these four things more as, as the next three weeks progress. And we're going to have a great four-week series. We can hardly wait. We're going to have lasers and fun and light show and Christmas music. And Yeah, don't, you got to be careful there. If you're going to go to the laser show at uh, North Point, be sure to wear a face mask. Otherwise, your face will be melted off wonderful songs and it's going to be so cool but 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 these four things you're also going to hear more about these things over the next few weeks but but right now real quickly i'm going to go through these very quickly the four things that i learned about god from that very first christmas the first thing is this he is humble yep that's true that god god christ comes to earth very humbly right on yep that's true now, now this doesn't even sound right. It, it seems kind of like an oxymoron, a humble God, but it is true. 
Because when God came to this earth, he, he didn't come in a tornado. And he didn't come through a tsunami or, or a hurricane. He, he didn't come as a devouring fire or a, or a whirlwind. When, when, when God finally steps onto planet earth, he comes as a baby. Right on, right on. And, and he comes as a baby that is fully dependent and cannot speak or eat solid food or control his bladder. Right on. This is true. This is the incarnate deity. Right on. Mama has to change poo-poo from his diaper. This is true. Talking about God here. Talking about God. He becomes us. Think about this. Think. Right. He does. Why? You read it in the text. To save his people from their sins. Can you get to that part, Tommy? Think about this. He becomes us to reach us. He is humble. Now, now the second thing that I learned about God from that very first Christmas, and I love this, I love this, he is approachable. Right on. This is true, too. Yes, Jesus is humble and approachable. Right on. God is approachable. Now, in most religions in this world, fear is the primary emotion when approaching God. Oh, he's holy. You can't just approach him. You can't come into his presence. I certainly saw this in India through Hinduism. But you don't have to travel to India. Look in your Old Testament. Look at Jewish worship. Uh, okay, this is going to be interesting here. Um, you do know that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament in human flesh, right? Yeah, you, you, that Jesus is the same God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush and told Moses to take his sandals off because the ground that he was standing on is holy ground. We'll see if we can clean this up. You have the burning bush of Moses. You, you have the mountain in the desert that's so holy that if you touch it, it proves fatal. In, in, in the Old Testament, in Jewish worship, read your Old Testament. You mishandle the Ark of the Covenant, you die. But God finally comes to the planet. He visits this place. What if we're all huddled around before the event took place? You know, is it interesting to you, or it's interesting to me, that it, he's not seeing the connection between the God of the Old Testament and Jesus? Trying to figure out what exactly he would be like. Hey, everyone, God is coming to the planet. What will he be like? How will he come? What, what, will, that, what, what, what will it be? How will he approach us? And he finally comes to this planet, and he comes as a little baby. And, and, and my question would be this. What could be less scary than a newborn baby? I mean, is there anything less scary than a newborn baby? And, and A great point. Now, this comes back to this whole thing. How do you reconcile the God of the Old Testament and Jesus, this completely non-threatening baby nursing at the breast of Mary? How do you, how do you reconcile that? Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Why? Because we in our sinful rebellion against God are unholy and wretched and deserving of God's wrath and judgment. Jesus takes our place. He dies on the cross for our sins so that we can enter into the presence of that holy and just God in which wretchedness and rebellion and sin cannot exist in his presence. You see the connection? But he's not making that connection. And somehow, somehow in Jesus... God finds a way of relating to human beings that doesn't involve fear. And I think this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. 
So God is humble. God is approachable. And, and here's another thing that I love. I'm going to tell you all four of these things are my favorite because they all are. Number three, I love this. I love this. He has empathy. Now, now, now. Yes, he does. God is very empathetic. He loves his creation. He loves human beings. It's not his will that any should perish. God has true true pity and empathy on humanity. Yes. Now hear me, hear me clearly. And, and let me just speak my mind and, and I'll try to articulate this. It seems to me that this world and its system is like tilted towards the powerful and the rich of this world. Like, like the system and the rules tilt towards those that have. Those that are powerful. Now, you think that's a result of our sin? If you think so, say yes. Yes, that's a result of our sin. Yes, everything is screwed up and upside down. People seize control and power and use it to enslave and manipulate and control people to their own ends. Those that have influence, those that have money. But but as I read Matthew, Mark, Luke Luke and John, and I see that God visits this planet, it appears to me that through Jesus... The kingdom of heaven tilts towards the broken and the down and out. Now, 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 Jesus, if you look at Matthew... Now, here's a problem with this. Um, do you think that Jesus didn't die for those who are in their sin abusing power and wealth and manipulating the system? Did Jesus only come for the poor? Or do we learn that because of our sin that we, all of us are really truly poor before God? You see, you got to be careful how you preach this stuff because if you end up basically put it, basically making it so that Jesus isn't for the wealthy as well, and he is. Because what, what do we learn from Scripture? That Jesus loved the rich young ruler and wanted to set him free from his idolatry to his money and his wealth and his power and really truly wanted him to come and follow Jesus. You see what I'm saying here? Mark, Luke, and John, when he begins to grow up, spends most of his time helping the hurting. Now, when I was in India, and this is one of the reasons it was so life-changing to me, and one of the reasons that while I was over there... Now, Jesus did help the hurting. He did. Truly, truly, he did. But he also spent a large amount of time talking with and spending time with the Pharisees and trying to bring them to repentance of their religious sins so that they would be forgiven. And Jesus calls down woes on not just the Pharisees, but also the, the common folk who wouldn't repent. I thought about Christmas. I thought about why God came to this planet. Uh, when I was there, I saw a lot of hurting people. We fight four global giants at North Point Church, disease, poverty, illiteracy, and spiritual emptiness. You could look out your car window and see all. In other words, uh, North Point Church in Missouri there is, uh, well, a seeker-driven, peace plan-driven church. How do you fight the spiritual emptiness part, um, Tommy? Four of those things right there on a the street corner. And, and, and I am a full believer that Jesus looks out for the hurting. And I believe with all of my heart that when we are really like him, we are doing the same thing. I want you to watch this video. It's so amazing to me in India. Do you think it's ironic that he's playing the song in the background, Stairway to Heaven? Because that's what this theology sounds like. It's a stairway to heaven. Well, you, you know, yeah, feed the poor and, you know, and help stop the chaos. And that's your stairway to heaven. I'm not hearing about... Christ crucified for sins at all. 
except for it just because, well, the text did happen to accidentally kind of have that in there. But he just kind of glossed over that and went on to the chaos point again. You know what I mean? You just look on the street and you can see every one of the global killers at work. Spiritual emptiness, disease, poverty, and illiteracy. Showing, you know, video footage of the streets of India where there's folks that are illiterate and poor. Yes, they are. We're standing on a rooftop in Calcutta. You can see right behind me is a five-star hotel. Just beyond that, just a short distance away, it's complete poverty. One-third of India lives in poverty. And so, yeah, I mean, truly this is terrible that there's a five-star hotel and right in the shadow of that five-star hotel is just rank, just destitute poverty. What do you think causes that? Could it be our sin? This is is a line of people on the bags that they're holding. They go up there, we give them food, we give them rice, we give them curry. And uh, it's really the only nutritious meal that they'll get for the day. But then they will serve the food until the food runs out. So there's always people that don't get food. Hey, uh, we're here in in a teen challenge home. And uh, these beautiful, wonderful kids here, uh, they are children of some of the victims of the red light district. So uh, they've been rescued, and, and they're learning, they're being educated, and they've been given a future. Thank God, uh, because of a ministry that reached out to them. So uh, they, they want to say something to you on the count of three. One, two, three. How much do you want to bet that those kids that, they, that they've rescued, those orphans of, of the prostitutes in the red light district in Mumbai, how much do you want to bet the church there in India that has rescued these orphans does a far better job of telling these kids about their great God and Savior who died on the cross for their sins than Tommy Sparger's doing in his social gospel Christmas sermony thing? How much do you want to bet? So this trip to India is just so amazing for me. Uh, it, it seems to me that God's heart is always for the broken and for the needy, those that are down and out. We read that from cover to cover in the Bible. That's right. God does care for the needy and the down and out and the broken. He does. The question is, what does that have to do with Jesus and why he came? When the text says he came to rescue his people from their sins. And as you look at India, and specifically Calcutta behind me, boy, the need is everywhere. And I just think with the broken, with the needy, 
is God's heart. They are changing people's lives. Kids are being rescued. And, and so this is such a good work here. And really what they need from people like us in the United States, they just need us to partner and to help. And so we're looking at ways that we can connect with them, ways that we can partner with them, maybe even one day be able to send teams back here uh, and certainly send resources. But uh, maybe above all, uh, you can pray for, for the believers here in India that are making a difference. Um, I mean, I think you can see why this was so life-changing, but for me, I believe God came to this planet uh, for all of us. And, and when I look in their eyes, I, I, I see why there was a baby born in Bethlehem. Yes, Jesus came for all of us, and there's a reason why there was a baby born in Bethlehem. What does the text say, Tommy? And, and so I, here's what I learned from God from that very first Christmas. He is humble. He is approachable. He has empathy, and, and the fourth thing is, and, is that he is courageous. And, and courageous? How about forgiving? You ever heard of the blood of Jesus? Hello? Courageous. Okay. And the reason I chose the fact that he is courageous, and, and this means something to me, and something that I learn, is just because of everything that he endures for you and, and for me. But because if you think about it, Jesus might be the most misunderstood person that has ever lived. He, he was misunderstood by his family. He was misunderstood by his friends. He was misunderstood by his peers. He was misunderstood by the world and the world system. He, it sounds like he's misunderstood by you. He was misunderstood by religion and its system. He is still misunderstood by his skeptics and by his followers. He has always been misunderstood, yet he endures for you and for me. And, and really, as we kick off this Christmas season, that's what it means. Jesus gives his life. He endures for you and for I. Now, now he, you know, this, this whole service comes to a sort of a point of application. And, and you might be thinking, what do I do with this information? Jesus came to the planet. I, I know, too, about Easter. He gave his life. And, and so, so how do I? Is that even qualify? Yeah, I know. You know, he gave his life. Don't put yourself out. You know, wouldn't want you to, you know, break a nail talking about Jesus giving his life. Yeah, you know. I apply all of this to me. How does this work for me between now and December 25th and even beyond? What's the application? Well, I think we start by asking this question. Why does Jesus go through everything that he goes through when he comes to planet Earth? Could you explain some of that? What does he go through? Can you give us some details? Why did he enter this chaotic world in a chaotic way? I'll tell you what I think. Please, I can hardly wait to hear what you think. Your job is to preach the word. I don't care what you think. I think he entered this world chaotically to rid you of your chaos. That's the best you can come. Yeah, see, this is why, uh, yeah, uh, folks, I'm telling you, this is an argument in favor of lectionaries and taking away the ability for these pastors to just, you know, shoot from the hip like this. Yeah, I, I know that sounds deep and profound, Tommy. Um, yeah, uh, Jesus came to earth in a chaotic way to rid you of your chaos. It would be just a lot better if we gave you texts to preach on and didn't give you any creative license. So then people could actually hear the biblical gospel instead of your bizarre little opinions. I believe that he came to give you a reason to live. I believe that he came to give you a reason to believe, to try, to hope. To believe what? 
Hope to be a better. To hope in what? Better parent, to be a better spouse, to have purpose. So to be a better per- parent, to have purpose. Yeah, uh, really. Um, hmm. Okay. Which texts again say that? To fix that thing inside of you that might be broken. That might be broken. That, so if it's not broken and I'm a better, I'm a decent parent and other things, I don't need Jesus, right? You may be here today wondering if you can ever connect with God. Is that possible? Can a relationship ever be restored? Can you connect with your kids? Can you connect with your family? Can you forgive that person? Can you carry on after that death? Can you carry on after that loss? Can yeah, I don't have any of these problems, so I don't need Jesus, right? Can you start a new chapter, even though the past chapters are not very good? Can that happen? And, and I believe that Jesus came to bring hope. I believe hope for what? That, that he came into chaos and disrupts and disrupts your life today to, to begin to bring that hope. I believe it. Well, that's great. Um, can you can you dig that out of the text for us? And, and I believe every one of us need, need to know this. Jesus came to this chaotic planet, to this earth for us. For you and for me. What does that mean? What does it mean he came to earth for us? What do you mean by that? What does the Bible say? Yeah, Jesus did come for us. What does the scripture say? He died for our sins. Raised for our justification. So yeah, the text does say for us, but just saying he's for us doesn't tell me what exactly that means. Your job as the pastor is to actually explain it all. You don't get to cut corners and and do engage in some kind of subterfugic shorthand that that doesn't give the details. Your job as the pastor is to give the details. And you're going to have to ask yourself what that means to you this Christmas season. What does that mean to me? Let's pray. The end. Wow. What a train wreck. What a tragedy. You know, here they spend tens of thousands of dollars, maybe hundreds, in productions, in in video production, traveling and creating these elaborate sets and, and, you know, and putting on the big show that they put on. And at the end of it, you get, I mean, just nothing. I mean, seriously. I mean, I get, this wouldn't fill a thimble full of lint. I mean, that's how little there's going on here. This is an argument against, I mean, Tommy Sparger is an example of why you, your pastor needs to be forced to follow a lectionary and to preach from texts. Because otherwise they come up with silly ideas like this and start telling you what they think Jesus came to earth for, rather than telling, letting you know what God's word says Jesus came to earth for. Jesus himself said, I came to seek and save the lost. What does that mean? He came to die for their sins, to bring to repentance and the forgiveness of their, of their sins. Oh, but yeah, see, uh, you start preaching the text like that, and yeah, that can have a negative impact on your ability to grow a big church so that you can be invited to conferences and tell everybody how to grow big churches. Just saying, you know, it's something I've noticed today. Today's the just saying episode, apparently. <sighs> Well, yeah, I don't know how to fix that. 
Yeah, the problem is, is he wasn't preaching from text, and he was he started with his own ideas and kind of found texts to to kind of manipulate in a way to to follow his idea. But you know, I'm glad that they're helping the folks in India. That's a good thing. But if those folks in India, if they're fed but don't hear about Christ and crucified for their sins, um, that's even a temporary fix. Sad. What a mess. What a mess. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute every month $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable and send it to Fighting for the Faith, Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Sins, yeah, see, that's what, yeah, anyway, you got it. Good night. Good night.